Hello, welcome to Altar of a Cowgirl. My name is Forrest Greenwell, I'm a poet, tarot weaver, and I'm here today to take you through week six of The Artist's Way. So, if you're not new here, then you know what's up, and if you are new here, The Artist's Way is basically a tool or a device or a method to ungunk the gutters of our mind, of our spirituality, of all of these things that connect us to ourselves and to the things that we believe in. So I've been doing a little podcast reading of some of the chapters, giving my own thoughts on them, kind of modernizing it, um, while still giving complete homage and respect and, of course, credit to Julia Cameron, who originally made and was the master of this work is the master of this work so this week we're looking at recovering a sense of abundance we're gonna tackle a major creative block which is money and here we're really asked to look at our own ideas around god money and creative abundance and the essays that we're going to look at will explore the ways in which your attitudes limit abundance and luxury in your current life you're going to be introduced to counting a block-busting tool for clarity and right use of funds. And this week also may feel volatile. Okay, money is hard. It's very, very activating. We have a lot of our safety wrapped up in that. We also have a lot of our worthiness wrapped up in it as well. It is not an easy topic. Um, and I honestly generally find this week the hardest. I've done this a lot of times. Um... And some of the tasks, I'm going to actually look at those first. Uh, yeah, some of them are really wonderful. Like natural abundance. Five, five, find five pretty or interesting rocks. Just go to a beach. Go on a trail. Go into the woods. Find some interesting rocks or flowers or trees. And that's the next one. Pick five flowers or leaves. Um, you may want to pick some between wax paper. It's funny because I actually did that before. I even opened the book to read this chapter again. Um, yeah, I'm standing back next to a bunch of wildflowers that are in my garden. Um, clearing, throw out or give away five ratty pieces of clothing. Bake something. Communication, send postcards to five friends. Um, reread the basic principles. Acceptance, any new flow in your life. Um, say yes to freebies prosperities, any change in your financial perspective. Um, oh yes, okay, so counting and exercises is where this is not in the tasks. Um, it's an exercise, actually. I see the exercises in this book as required, where the tasks, it's like you should be doing them, but not all of them, like kind of looking at the ones that you're most adverse to and you're most drawn to. But yeah, the counting one is um, buy a small nook of small pocket notepad and write down every nickel you spend doesn't matter what it is for or how tiny the purchase or how petty the amount petty cash is still cash each day date and count what you bought what you spent where your money went whether it was for groceries lunch at a diner a cab ride subway fares or a loan to your brother be meticulous be thorough and be non-judgmental this is an exercise in self-observation not slow flagellation you may want to continue this practice for a full month or longer, but it will really teach you what you value in terms of your spending. So often our spending differs from our real values, and we fritter away cash on things that we don't actually cherish, um, so that we can deny ourselves the things that we do cherish. So counting can be a really productive way to 
prelude um, learning creative luxury. But yeah, that is that. Let's dive into week six. Can't believe we're here, but I can. Wow. Recovering a sense of abundance. The great creator. I'm a believer, Nancy declares. I just don't believe God gets involved with money. Although she doesn't recognize it, Nancy carries two self-sabotaging beliefs. She believes not only that God is good, too good to do money, but also that money is bad. Nancy, like many of us, needs to overhaul her God concept in order to fully recover her creativity. For many of us raised to believe that money is the real source of security, a dependence on God feels foolhardy, suicidal, and even laughable. When we consider the lilies of the fields, we think they're quaint, too out of it for the modern world. We're the ones who keep the clothes on our backs. We're the ones who buy the groceries. And we will pursue our art, we tell ourselves, when we have enough money to do it easily. And when will that be? We want a God that feels like a fat paycheck and a license to spend as we please. Listening to the siren song of more, we are deaf to the still small voice awaiting in our souls a whisper, you are enough. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all things will be added to it. We have been told, often since childhood, by people quoting from the Bible. We don't believe this, and we certainly don't believe it about art. Maybe God would feed and clothe us in a pinch, but painting supplies, a museum tour of Europe, and dance classes. God's not about to spring for those, we tell ourselves. We cling to our financial concerns as a way to avoid not only our art, but our spiritual growth. Our faith is in the dollar. I have to keep a roof over my head, we say. Nobody's going to pay me to be more creative. And we are awfully sure about that, too. Most of us harbor a secret belief that work has to be work and not play, and that anything that we really want to do, like write, act, or dance, must be considered frivolous and be placed a distant second. This is simply not true. We are operating out of the toxic old idea that God's will for us and our will for us are at opposite ends of the table. I want to be an actress, but God wants me to wait tables and hash joints, the scenario goes. So if I try to be an actress, I will end up slinging hash. Thinking like this is grounded in the idea that God is a stern parent with a very rigid idea about what's appropriate for us. And you'd better believe that we won't like them. This stunted gun concept needs alteration. This week in your morning pages, write about the God you do believe in and the God you would like to believe in. So for some of us, this means what God's a woman and she's on my side. And for others, this is a God of energy. And for others still, this is a collective of higher forces moving us towards our higher good. And if you're still dealing with a God consciousness that has remained unexamined since childhood, you are probably dealing with a toxic God. So what would a non-toxic God think of your creative goals? Might such a God reality exist? And if so, would money or your job or your lover remain your higher power? Many of us equate difficulty with virtue and art with fooling around. Hard work is good, and a terrible job must be building our moral fiber. Something, a talent for painting, say, that comes up to us easily and seems compatible with us, must be some sort of cheap trick and not to be taken seriously. On the one hand, we give lip service to the notion that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. 
and on the other we secretly think that god wants us to be broke if we are going to be so decadent as to want to be artists do we have any proof at all for these ideas about god looking at god's creation it's pretty clear that the creator itself did not know when to stop there is not one pink flower or even 50 pink flowers but hundreds snowflakes of course are the ultimate exercise in sheer creative glee no two alike this creator looks suspiciously like someone who just might send us support for our creative adventures we have a new employer the big book of alcoholics anonymous promises recovering alcoholics if we take care of god's business he will take care of ours to battered aa newcomers such thinking is a lifeline desperate for a way to achieve sobriety they cling to this thought and worry about their own precarious abilities to live effectively expecting divine help they do tend to receive it entangled lives smooth out tangled relationships gain sanity and sweetness to those less desperate such assurances sound foolish and even deceptive maybe like we're being conned and the god who has a job for us the god who has fulfilling work the god who holds abundance and dignity who holds a million possibilities and the keys to every door this god can sound suspiciously like a flim playmate. and so when it comes time for us to choose between a cherished dream and a lousy current drudgery we often choose to ignore the dream and blame our continued misery on god we act like it's god's fault that we didn't go to europe take that painting class go on that photo shoot and in truth we not god have decided not to go we have tried to be sensible and so we have any proof at all that god is sensible and rather than see if the universe might not have supported some healthy extravagance, the creator may be our father-mother source, but it is surely not the mother-father church-teacher friends here on earth who have instilled in us their ideas of what is sensible for us. Creativity is not and has never been sensible. And why should it be? Why should you be? Do you still think that there is... Flipping the page. Do you still think that there is some virtue wow i can't even speak but do you still think that there's some virtue in being murdered if you want to make some art make some art just a little art two sentences one rhyme a silly kindergarten ditty god likes art and that's the part my parents would ignore god likes art and i make art and that's what god likes me for yeah, I just even just made a song out of it. There's a little quote in the sub, um, in the, uh, what's that part of the page called? On the part of the page where there's a little quote, there's a little quote. All substance is energy in motion. It lives and flows. Money is symbolically a golden flowing stream of concretized vital energy. Whoa, kind of bitchin'. So making art begins with making hay while the sun shines. It begins with getting into the now and enjoying your day. It begins with giving yourself some small treats and breaks. This is extravagant, but so is God. It is a good attitude to take when treating your artist to small bribes and beauties. Remember, you are the cheapskate, not God. And as you expect God to be more generous, God will be able to be more generous with you. What we really want to do is what we are really meant to do. 
And when we do what we are meant to do, money comes to us, doors open for us, we feel useful, and the work we do feels like play to us. We will continue to work this week with our ideas surrounding money. And we will see how our ideas about money. It's hard to get. You gotta look more, work long hours for it. You need to worry about money first and creativity second. Shape our ideas about creativity. Luxury. Mm. For those of us who've become artistically anorectic, yearning to be creative and refusing to feed that hunger in ourselves so that we become more and more focused on our deprivation, a little authentic luxury can go a long way. The key word is authentic because art is born in expansion, in a belief in sufficient supply, and it is critical that we pamper ourselves for the sense of abundance it brings to us. So what constitutes pampering? That truly will vary for each of us. For Jillian, a pair of new-to-her twee trousers in the vintage store conjured up images of Carol Lombard laughter and racy roadsters. For Jean, a single sprightly Gerber daisy perched on her night table told her life was a loom with possibility. Matthew found that the scent of real furniture wax gave him a feeling of safety, solidity, and order. Constance found luxury in allowing herself the indulgence of a magazine subscription. A $20 gift that keeps on giving for a full year of images and indulgence. And all too often we become blocked and we blame it on our lack of money. This is never an authentic block. The actual block is our feeling of constriction and our sense of powerlessness. Art requires to empower ourselves with choice. At the most basic level, this means choosing to do self-care. One of my friends is a world-famous artist of formidable talents. He is assured a place in history for his contributions to his field, and he is sought after by younger artists and respected by older artists. Although not yet 50, he has already been singled out for a Lifetime Achievement Award, and nonetheless this is an artist suffering in the throes of artistic anorexia. Although he continues to work, he does so at greater and greater cost to himself. Why he sometimes wonders to himself, does this life's work now feel so much like his life's work? It is because he has denied himself luxury. And let me be clear that the luxury I'm talking about here has nothing to do with penthouse views, designer clothes, zippy foreign cars, or first class travel. This man enjoys all of those privileges, but what he doesn't enjoy is his life. He has denied himself the luxury of time. Time with friends, time with family, and above all, time to himself with no agendas of preternatural accomplishment. His many former passions have dwindled to mere interests, and he is too busy to enjoy his pastimes. He tells himself that he has no time to pass. The clock is ticking, and he is using it to get famous. Recently, I bought myself a horse for the first time in a decade. On hearing the good news, my accomplished friend moved immediately into his wet blanket mode, cautioning, Well, I hope you don't expect to get to ride it much, or even see it much. As you get older, you do less and less of the things you enjoy. Life becomes more and more about doing what you must. And because I've learned to hear wet blanket messages for what they are, I was not too daunted by this prognosis. But I was saddened by it. It reminded me of the vulnerability of all artists, even very famous ones, to the shaming I-should-be-working side of themselves that discourages creative pleasures. 
In order to thrive as artists, and one could argue as people, we need to be available to the universal flow. When we put a stopper on our capacity for joy by anorectically declining the small gifts of life, we turn aside the larger gifts as well. Those of us, like my artist friend, who are engaged in long creative works will find ourselves leeching our souls to fine images, returning to past works, to tricks, practicing our craft more than enlarging our art. Those of us who have stimmied the workflow completely will find ourselves in lives that feel barren and devoid of interest no matter how many meaningless things we've filled them with. So, what gives us true joy? That is the question to ask concerning luxury. And for each of us, the answer is very different. For Bernice, the answer is raspberries, but fresh raspberries. And she laughs at how easily pleased she is. For the cost of a pint of raspberries, she buys herself an experience of abundance. Sprinkled on cereal, cut up with a peach, poured over a scoop of ice cream. She can buy her abundance at the supermarket and even get it quick frozen if she really has to. They cost one ninety eight to four fifty, depending on the season. I always tell myself they're too expensive, but the truth is that's a bargain for a week of luxury. It's less than a movie. Less than a deluxe cheeseburger. I guess it's just more than I thought I was worth. For Alan, music is the great luxury. A musician, when he was younger, he had long denied himself the right to play. Like most block creatives, he suffered from a deadly duo, artistic anorexia, and prideful perfectionism. There were no practice shots for this player. He wanted to be at the top, and if he could not be there, he would not be anywhere near his beloved music. Stuck and stimmied, Alan described his block this way. I would try to play and hear myself, and what I can do is so far away that when I want to do that, I cringe. And then quit. Working on his creative recovery, Alan began by allowing himself the luxury of buying a new recording a week. He stopped making music work and started making it fun again. And he was so... Um, he was to buy crazy recordings, not just high art. Forget high-minded aspirations. What sounded like fun? Alan began exploring. He bought gospel, country, western, Indian drum music. And a month of this and he impulsively bought a set of practice sticks at the music store. He let them lie and let them lie. And three months later, Alan was drumming. On handlebars of his exercise bike while rock and roll blasted through his Walkman. Two months later, he cleared space in the attic and acquired a second-hand drum kit. I thought my wife and daughter would be embarrassed about how bad I was, he explains. And catching himself in this blaming he cops. Actually, I was the one who was embarrassed. But now I'm just having fun with it and it actually sounds a little better to myself. For an old guy, I'd say my chops are coming back. For Laura, a dime store set of watercolor paints was her first foray into luxury. For Kathy, it was a deluxe Crayola set. The kind my mother would never give me. I let myself do two drawings the first night, and one of them was a sketch of me in my new life, the one I'm working toward. But for many blocked creatives, it takes a little work to even imagine ourselves having luxury. Luxury is a learned practice for most of us. Blocked creatives are often the Cinderella's of the world. Focused on others at the expense of ourselves, we may even be threatened by the idea of spoiling ourselves for once. Don't try to let go of Cinderella, my writer friend Karen advises. Keep Cinderella, but focus on giving yourself the glass slipper. The second half of that fairy tale is great. What we are talking about when we discuss luxury is very often a shift in consciousness more than flow. 
although as we acknowledge and invite what feels luxurious in, we may indeed trigger an increased flow. Creative living requires the luxury of time, which we carve out for ourselves, even if it's 15 minutes for a quick morning pages and a 10-minute mini bath after work. Creative living requires the luxury of space for ourselves, even if all we manage to carve out is one special bookshelf and a windowsill that is ours. Remember that your artist is a youngster, and youngsters like things that are mine. My chair, my book, my pillow. Designating a few things special in yours alone can go a long way towards making you feel pampered. Chinatown Anywhere offers a beautiful teacup and saucer for under $5. Secondhand stores often have one-of-a-kind china plates to make an afternoon stack a more creative experience. Much of what we do in creative recovery may seem silly. And silly is it offends our wet blanket uses to squelch our artist dates and our artist child. Beware of silly as a word that you toss at yourself. Yes, artist dates are silly. That is the whole fucking point. Creativity lives in paradox. Serious art is born from serious play. Alright, so we did the counting exercise. And then the last exercise in here that isn't the task is money madness and exercise. So it's just completing some phrases. I'm going to say a couple of them. and give you some time to think about it. Maybe write it down, contemplate it. People with money are... Money makes people... Well, I'd have more money if... Money equals... If I could afford it, I'd... I'm afraid that if I had money, I would... In order to have more money, I'd need to... Being broke tells me... Whew! Alright, y'all. This week leaves a lot to be desired, and I think that's just, like, also recognizing really truly that, like, we live in a capitalistic society, um, and that the time this book was written was, like, a long time ago, and, like, they never could have imagined, you know, what's happening with COVID, and just everything in the world, and just everything, just literally everything. I mean, they could have, they, they, they probably do projections of it, but you know what I mean? Like, it's all always way crazier than you would think that it would actually be, so... I feel like there are some things here where it's recognizing that our money is linked to our nervous system and our money is linked to our worthiness. We're literally entrained in that and that it takes a really long time to find safety around that and to learn to ask for help, um, which takes a lot of humility, I think. And we live in a world that is very much like you have to do it all on your own. You have to do all these things. You have to be responsible, but also you literally can't do it on your own. So um, a lot of pride can get in the way there, right? Of just like, oh, but I have to do it. And if I am able to do it by myself, even if I am also able to have help, then, like, I am somehow, like, worth more or a harder worker or whatever it is. Um, yeah, and I just feel like mm, that's not actually totally true. Um, sometimes the hard work is breaking down what we think about things, right? 
it's not whether or not we have access to something. Um, it's what it is that we're actually willing to access within ourselves. And what it is that we're willing to allow ourselves to access. Right? What is it we're willing to allow ourselves to ask for? So, just something nice to think about. Right? What is it that maybe someone or something around you might have available? And whether you know it or not, just see what asking can do for you. Even if it's just a lawn chair. I'm looking for a lawn chair. Does anyone know anyone who has a lawn chair that's trying to get rid of? You never know what might happen. Thank you very much for listening to Altar of a Cowgirl. Once again, my name is Forrest Greenwell. I'm a tarot reader, poet, psychic, doer of things, maker of things. And you can find me at Altar of a Cowgirl on Instagram or Cowgirl Oracle on Instagram or ForrestGreenwell.com. I hope that wherever you are, that this is wishing you well. I hope that there is an angel number wherever you look. And I'm sending you love. Have a good day. Catch you next time.